being able to look in at the accounting profession and see it from a place where they're not allowed me to empathically think about the relationship that accountants have with their clients. And I, I knew that their clients wanted to do more. Welcome, everyone, to Do Well and Do Good. You're here because you have the desire to create financial freedom, but you also want to make a powerful, positive impact on the world. This podcast exists to tell the inspiring stories of men and women who have achieved both, people who do well and do good. I'm your host, Dorothy Ilson, and I'm here to help you discover proof that individuals have the ability to make a massive impact. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Do Well and Do Good. I have an outstanding guest for you today, and so I'm thrilled that you're here. But before I tell you all about him, if you've been enjoying this podcast, it would mean the world if you could take 30 seconds to leave a rating and review. Those five-star reviews go so far in helping new people to find the show, and I really want to spread this message as far and wide as I can. Thank you so much in advance for that. And my guest today is someone who, if you have been listening carefully, you may have noticed his name pop up in several other interviews that I have done on this show. And that just goes to illustrate what an amazing impact that this man has had in people's lives. His name is Paul Dunn, and he's a hugely respected business leader and four-time TEDx speaker. Paul began his career in technology as one of the first 10 people at Hewlett-Packard in Australia, and from there went on to found multiple companies, including a marketing firm that helped over 23,000 businesses to grow. He's been featured in Forbes magazine alongside Sir Richard Branson in a global piece on disruptors in business. And Paul is certainly a disruptor in the world of corporate giving as well. See, there are people out there who aren't just satisfied with making an impact as an individual, but rather they leverage their own efforts to help others give back as well, which is exactly what Paul is doing as chairman of the Buy One, Give One organization. B1G1 is a nonprofit that provides businesses a platform through which to easily incorporate giving back into their model. And they're doing it at a massive scale. And I really do mean massive here. The members of B1G1 have created over 164 million giving impacts to date. And that number is growing faster and faster all the time. So without further ado, I could not be more excited to share with you my conversation with Paul Dunn. Paul, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I'm so excited to have you here. Oh, what a privilege it is to be taking time with you. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're welcome. Well, Paul, let's dive straight into the journey of how you got to where you are. So could you expound on that intro and give us some insight into your personal story? Sure. I, yeah, you know, usually when, when you get asked that question, uh, you, you're expected to reply with the sort of Joseph Campbell hero story, you know, where you go from some terrible thing and then all of a sudden you see the light. I relate to mine a, a little differently. I think mine has been just one of incredible luck, incredible luck. You mentioned, for example, uh, you know, getting headhunted uh, by Hewlett Packard way back when, a long time. Let's just say it's a long time ago, Dorothy, way before you were <laughs> born, and maybe many of your listeners. Uh, and, and you know, I was I was on a plane the other day, actually, and, um, which I spent a lot of my time on, and it was talking about Silicon Valley, 
naturally it talked about the whole culture of Silicon Valley and so on and so forth. And then it tracked back and it said, let's talk about where it began. And it said it began with Bill Hewlett and Dave Packer. And they went through this whole thing about them doing the whole garage thing, which, of course, Steve Jobs repeated and so on and so forth. And so for me to have that, you know, connection at, you know, relatively young age was just amazing. And, uh, you know, we become, you know, our environment to a large extent dictates our performance. And, and so that kind of sat with me, the whole thinking that they had. So then, as you said, um, you know, the, the whole thing about creating a number of companies and joyfully doing that. And then I continued to do that uh, along the side of your introduction through to 2000. And yes, we were working with accountants. And I know you started life as one of those as well. <laughs> so, uh, um, uh, and, and that was interesting because I'm not one of them. I and mean, I'm not uh, an accountant. Interestingly, uh, it's, it's like perspective, someone said, is looking at something from a place where you are not being able to look in at the accounting profession and see it from a place where they're not allowed me to empathically think about the relationship that accountants have with their clients. And I, I knew that their clients wanted to do more. And so we, we went from this whole thing of when we started this, of if you talk to an accountant and said, what do you do? If they were being really brutally honest, they would say, well, I report on history. And we said, well, that's, that's very cool, but why not turn it 180 degrees and say that or I create history with my selected clients? And that got me into this whole thing about recognizing that accountants change lives. And so we had, you know, 17,500, actually 17,700 uh, accountants going through that, uh, that process uh, in the late 90s. And then... I did one of those things which we sometimes go through, which is, the, oh, well, you should retire. You know, you've sold your company, you know, do all of that. Hopefully, it's obvious that I, I would find it hard to do that. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> uh, and so then I had one of these uh, critical moments. Um, all of us listening right now would understand that where we are right now is really a product of, of, of moments in our life where we've, you know, we face something and, and, and we react in a particular way. And I had, one of those moments uh, in uh, 2006, I met this guy, uh, his name is Pastor Selva. I said, tell me a story. And he said, well, my life was going great. Uh, my church had asked me to go to this little island off India, minister, if you will, to the community. And so we built this beautiful church. And then he said, 18 months ago, actually, he said, 16 months ago, that all changed. And I should have figured out what he was talking about, but, but I didn't with that date clue. And I said, well, what happened? And he said, well, it was a Sunday uh, and uh, just uh, the day after Christmas. And again, that should have keyed me in, but it didn't. And he said, uh, there we were uh, in that little tiny Sunday school, which was up on a hill. And there were 12 kids there. And all of a sudden, we heard this huge noise. Uh, and I'd never heard anything like that before, he said. And, and, and the kids were scared. So I just opened the door and looked. And, and about three miles away, I, I saw this huge wall of water that was going to hit us and clearly engulf us. So instantly we know that he's talking about the 2004 tsunami. You know, as I recall the story, I said, oh, my God, what happened next? And he said, well, I said to the kids, 12 of them, let's run to the high ground. Let's play this game of running up the hill. And he said, so we stood there, six kids either side, 
and we watched as the church was completely crumbled and washed away. And then we sat there and watched as their parents were washed away as well. And I, you know, I, I honestly can't remember what I said. And somehow or other, it got then into, you know, for the last 16 months, we've been traveling around India trying to find a place for these kids. And, and a, a month ago, we found it. But now, we're, we're, you know, the kids need looking after. They need to go to school, which in India means, by the way, you need to buy a uniform, which also means, you know, you've got to buy the books, you've got to do insurances, you've got to get food. He said, but I said, well, have you figured out how much that costs? And he said, well, yes. And he said, it's three and a half thousand US. Uh, and I said, oh, that's for per child, right? And he said, no, 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 no. That, that's for all 12. My goodness. And had you been there, you would have done what I did. We said, it's fixed. You, you didn't know how to do it, right? But you would fix it, I did. And then I got this brilliant email. He'd gone down to this internet cafe and he'd also borrowed a camera. And so he sent me this email and he sent me these four JPEG files. The first one was a long distance shot of this little tiny house that they had. And then for the second shot was inside this one room that they had here with the 12 kids. And the caption said, see, they have food now. And then the next shot was them sitting in the same place and doing their work, sitting around in a circle. And he said, see, they have their school books now. And then the final shot was the one that really changed it for me. And what they'd done is on the, just a real close-up of the, of the house and across the top of the railings they had written in great big letters on this paper, they had written, Paul Dunn Home. And I, oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> and it was that moment when I realized, if you'd have said to me, what's, what's your life been about you know, in business until that point, uh, I would have said, uh, well, it was really about two things. It was about adding enormous value to the people that we were privileged to serve. And it was about having fun. That was it. And it was my, my two things. And it, it was at that moment that I began to realize that there's actually something else. And that is the opportunity. In fact, I would suggest it's actually the obligation to do great things as well to help those who are a little less fortunate than we are through no fault of their own. And secondly, to do things that protect our own home, if you will, uh, meaning this planet as well. And so very quickly, about six months after that, I was very fortunate. I was mentoring uh, uh, a young lady. She was a Japanese chef and she had created this tiny little company and here we were in the mentoring session and, and she bought the packaging of this thing and it was gluten-free frozen food that she was trying to sell. And on the side of it, it had this little starburst. It wasn't specific. It said, uh, when you buy this, you help us support a soup kitchen in India. And someone looked at it and we said, oh my gosh, I've heard of buy one, get one, but that's buy one, give one. And it's like, oh my gosh. And, and she uh, I didn't really get it at that point, I have to say. Uh, it was like, oh, what a cool idea that is. And then she went a little bit deeper and said to me a few days later, you know, how important this was. And she said, you know, I realized that if I can sell or get rid of my company, then we can create a world that's full of giving because that's a happier world. I said, well, how would that work? And she said, because I still, I was like, ah, yeah. She said, well... Imagine you go down to an electronics store 
and you buy a TV, for example. And I said, well, hang on a second, Masami, if that happened, the store's not going to give me another TV, as in, you know, buy my And she said, you don't understand. And I said, what is it? I don't understand. And she said, imagine you get the TV because you want better vision. How would it be if when you did that, someone who could not see got the gift of sight? And I went, oh, my God. (laughs) And then she sort of hears me sucking air. Like a light bulb going off. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or for example, she said, you go have a a, a cup of coffee and a child gets access to life-saving water just because you did that. And that was when I said to her, can I be your mentor for the rest of your life? Fortunately, (laughs) she said yes. And that was when Buy One, Give One, or what we now know as Be One, Do One, was formed in 2007. It's been, for me, just uh, an extraordinary journey and continues to be that. I I seriously think that had I not done that, I wouldn't be here right now. I seriously think that. Because, you know, it sounds like such a simple idea, right? But you can understand it took years, three years, in fact, to figure out how do you do it. That was an interesting journey, and it continues to be exactly that. Uh, right now. Well, Paul, there are so many pieces of that story that I would love to dive into. But before we get into uh, everything that you're doing now with B1G1, I want to talk a little bit about your own entrepreneurial journey building these companies. So I know that one thing that you really focused on in building these companies that you know, were helping so many businesses, it was all about creating wow experiences. Could you talk about that and why it is so important for both businesses and individuals to create what you call wow experiences? What does that mean? Yeah, I, I had this. I had this little issue. I, I was actually at once a, a branding consultant. You can appreciate. He said he listened to. A, a, was in the audience of a, a session that I did, and he came up to me afterwards and he said, "Oh my god, that was like a Canadian guy. That was amazing." I'm one of the world's most brand, you know, most expensive branding consultants, and you need a brand, and and I'm going to give it to you because that was like amazing. And he said, as from now, you are the wizard of wow. And I remember when he <laughs> no seriously, I'm not making that up. And when he said it, it's interesting to use it because there's um, you know how we each of us sort of sees things at a particular time, and then as you got to be on, you go, oh, there's there's perhaps a new way of thinking about that. And so I had that experience because half of me was going, oh, I get that because, you know, we, we love to wow customers. But then I started to think about it, and particularly as you build companies. Uh, and I, I came to understand that, as a friend of mine put it one day, because I was struggling with it, what, what word sort of conjures it up for you now? And I said, well, it's actually like a deep realization or something like, oh, and he said, I think you got it. And he said, Uh, The way I would describe it, Paul, is that wow can be cosmetic, whereas O has substance. And so we're seeing now, right? We're seeing now, uh, and and the way I think about it when I talk about the power of small is to create these moments that, you know, that kind of take the customer's breath away. Now, obviously, there's some wow in there as well, obviously. But I also learned that if you go, you know, if you start to build companies that are all about wow, they tend to depend on one person. And which is not a good thing. So when you get into this deep realization, and it is deep realization, that there is something else, what happens is the whole company, this commitment, if you like, to legacy, and that's, I, I talk about that as well, that once you get that that's part of the reason you're here, 
It's like Brene Brown says, you know, the connection is why we're here. It's what gives meaning and purpose to our lives. And I know you've had this experience where, you know, you people go home at the end of the day and it's like, is that all there is? Is that all there is? And so there's this brilliant thing going on where, you know, we're searching for this meaning and purpose. And when we find that in a company, it's like, whoa, <laughs> it's so cool. And so the whole organization now gets that and becomes not an organization led by someone who's on purpose, but an on-purpose organization, if you will. And when that happens, the business really rocks and, and becomes what me and others refer to as a force for good. Because, you know, the reality is that business should be a force for good. And it's just, it's just those little moments. I mean, uh, we were talking about, and, and interestingly, it's how it's when you start thinking a different way and you start thinking about the oh or the wow or whatever it is, you'll do things even if you are systematizing your business and growing it. People talk about, oh, you've got to have systems and all of that, which is true, right? You've got to have them. But I think you've got to have systems that delight, not systems that satisfy, but systems that delight, systems that inspire and so on. So, for example, these days when you go to airports, you know, it's typical that you don't see a person anymore, you see a machine. And the first thing it says, the first thing it says is, you know, you push the button to wake up the screen and it says, what's your flight reference number? And what a stupid question. I mean, because <laughs> you've, you've got to go, oh my God, where is that thing? I don't remember that. I remember I'm on flight 731, but I don't remember, you know, my ABC asterisk, you know, whatever. And so you think about that from a systems point of view and you ask yourself this simple question. Does the machine know what time of day it is? Yes, it does. Of course it does. So when you push that little button to wake it up, why doesn't it say, good morning, great to see you, or good morning, how's your day going, or something like that, you know, if you know what I meant to say. And it just changes that touch point, you know, it just changes, oh, how cool is that sort of thing. And then that changes, that little moment, that little moment changes our entire perspective of the, of the rest of the journey. Well, and it's something that takes so little effort to implement too. You know, there's so many places that. Well, you mentioned the power of small. Could you talk about that concept? Oh, yes. Well, there's so many things around the power of small. I mean, like, think about some of the people listening to us right now who have businesses, for example. Or indeed, it works if you think about it as a customer. And let's say you're talking on the phone with someone and you're talking about whatever the product is. And at some point, you say to the salesperson, you say, so what's the price of that? And, you know, it's kind of like sales price. And let's say they said, you know, pick a number, $330 or whatever. It doesn't matter, right? Whatever the price was. If they just said that, $330, the, it turns out, Dorothy, that, and I'm, I'm sure you know this, but it turns out in 72% of the cases, the potential customer who has the option of saying things like, oh, that's great, or wow, that's too expensive, or whatever, turns out that seven out of 10 times they're going to say, Oh, okay, well, let me think about that and I'll give you a call back. Now, what do you think actually happens? So they hang up the phone and go, think, 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 think. My day has been ruined because I'm thinking about this. Of course they don't. They call someone else, right? If you revisit the transaction and just with eight or nine words, you can totally change it. So the person says, so, oh, this is interesting. How much is that? And they say, well, it's $340 and that includes a number of very special things. I mean, if you think about that, first of all, how much did it cost them to add those words on? Zippo, nothing. 
And secondly, those words totally change the transaction. Yes, because the customer now says, oh, well, what are those special things? And as a result, you're getting you know, an entirely different conversation around the outcomes that the customer is going to get from using your, your product or from using your service. And that's really the key because so many of us, it's so easy to fall in love, isn't it? It's so easy to fall in love with uh, the, the, our products or our services. You know, when you were doing startups, which you told me about, that it's so easy to think, oh, it's going to change the world and you know, all of that sort of stuff. But the key is not to do that. The key is, it's challenging, is, is to fall in love with the person using or who might be using the product or service. Now, I don't mean that in a sort of romantic sense, but I mean to fall in love with the outcomes that they might be able to produce as a result of dealing with you. And when you get that shift, that shift of mindset, you'll find all these little things that just totally change the reality of things. Switching gears a little bit, you talked about the story of how B1G1 was born. I'm curious, you know, once the two of you had this idea, you decided to come together to build this platform, what was the most challenging part of growing the organization and spreading your mission in the beginning? The most difficult thing was to figure out uh, two things, actually. One was to figure out how do you get great projects, causes, if you will. How do you find these entities that what it says on the tin is actually what actually happens? How do you find organizations that have this amazing transparency? So that was the, the first thing, to figure out how to do that. And, you know, we, in, in B1G1, we, the board, uh, in its wisdom, uh, rejects nine out of every 10 of the projects that apply to be a part of of B1G1. And that can be challenging. And by the way, we don't just say, oh, you're rejected. We say, oh, here's here's why that didn't work. So let's work with you to find out how we can change it up. So that's one challenge. The second challenge was to find a way to be sustainable ourselves. You know, because it's great to be doing wonderful things, right? But you've got to be around so that you can continue to do them. Otherwise, it doesn't work. Right. And so that was a challenge. And so to create um, what is now called, people now refer to B1G1 as a movement and to which uh, it, it's not that people use all of the resources and all the wonderful things where we track the giving, where we, you, know, we, you can give from just one cent. Um, one cent can actually make a difference in B1G1. And all of those lovely things. So, so people talk about those things, but what they actually say, which is really interesting, is, remember I, I made that point about falling in love with what you do as opposed to falling in love with the customer. And we, was, we used to say to people, you know, you can give from one cent, 100% of your giving goes, we track it, we do all of this. We to, that's falling in love, right, with our product. And so, or our service, and then one of my team members, 26-year-old, actually, she, she's Sharon, she's just amazing. And she decided she would call uh, the members and say, what do you say, right? When you talk to others, and she built this kind of word cloud, you know, where you put all the words in, and then eventually the, the, the biggest used word comes through. And the biggest word that came through this is so interesting. This is why what you're doing is so critical. She said, or, or the, the audience said, if you will, our members said, the word that came out was transform. They said, well, what's that mean? And they said, doing this transforms our business. That's it. And then we said, 
So why is that? And they said, it shifts the spirit of our business. Imagine that, if you will. That, and it's, 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 you know, the other day, I, I was talking with um, one of our members, in, her name is Karen, Karen Dwyer, up in uh, Dublin in Ireland. She's beat MS and, and all of that. She's just amazing. Anyway, and she did her first gratitude certificate. A gratitude certificate is where the business, uh, let, let's say, for example, you went to the dentist this morning and that dentist happened to be a B1G1 dentist, as a, for example. Then they might say, let's say it was a scale and clean. And they might say, as you pay the bill, they might give you this little thing. You can call it whatever you like, but we tend to call it the gratitude sticker, which says, Dorothy, uh, we didn't tell you this when you made the appointment with us, but we thought you'd love to know just as a result of you visiting us, the 23 kids just got access to pure life-saving water just as a result of you visiting. And then it would go on and, 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 and talk a little bit about how that's made possible. And The loyalty that creates for their customers has got to be massive. Oh, oh, yeah, it's amazing. Anyway, she sent one of these to one of her, like a gratitude certificate, which the moment she sent it, she wrote us a note and she said, oh, thank you for creating this, this platform. It's just amazing. And then she said, I just sent my first gratitude certificate. Full stop. And then she said, it's giving me life. Wow. How cool is that? You know, and that's, that's also interesting. We tend to think that all of this is about the beneficiary, the quote unquote beneficiary, uh, the people who are getting the water, the people who are getting education, the, the, you know, all of, all of that kind of stuff. We tend to think that that's the beneficiary. But once uh, a 14 uh, year old had come on one of our study tours where we go and look at the reality on the ground. And long story short, they arranged for me as a result of that to go and talk at their school. I, I thought I was going to talk to their class, but ended up being 549 kids. And so Jessica, the young lady who had been with her father on the tour, she's introducing me and she's very quiet. She's very, very quiet. kid. And I said, Jessica, is there one thing that you would like me to be sure that we leave behind in terms of, you know, take away of the speech? And she said, oh, yes, Paul, she said, yes. She said, you know, uh, as a result of going on the study tour, I've really understood something. And, and she says, frequently we think that giving is all about the beneficiary. Actually, giving is all about us. <laughs> Talk about out of the mouth of age, you know, comes wisdom. And it's just stunning. Absolutely. I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. One of the foundational beliefs that is really behind do well and do good. And my whole concept for this podcast is that I believe that contribution is a fundamental human need that we all share. It's easy for life to feel very empty, you know, when when everything is just facing inward. And it's not until we think about, you know, how we can impact other people, how we can really make a difference and contribute to other people that you actually find fulfillment which is really at the end of the day what all of us are looking for. Would you agree? That's a perfect articulation, perfect articulation as to why this is so important. There are millions and millions of businesses out there and yet such a small fraction of them are actually doing something like this and incorporating giving back into their business model. 
Why do you think that is? You know, is it simply a lack of awareness or are there any common reasons that you come across, you know, why businesses hesitate to implement a program like the ones P1G1 create? That's a great question. If, uh, interestingly, if you look at the stats, uh, let's look at the US, for example, um, the latest stats are about 18 months old. And you look at the amount of giving that is getting done in the US and the big number coming up, $380 billion. That's a lot. But when you track all of that and you find out where is it coming from, 15% is coming from individuals. I forget the actual number, but it'll be easy to work out um, in a minute. There's a whole lot coming from foundations and stuff like that. But when you look at what's coming from business, every guess, the latest number is 5.62%. That's it, 5.62. And then you delve into the 5.62, and here's what you find. You find it's, it's what in Australia people would refer to as the top end of town. It's the large companies that have... You know, I shouldn't make a blanket statement. I really shouldn't because some of them are doing it well. But typically where the board is woken up to, oh, we need to do this thing called CSR. You know, oh, I hate that term, by the way. But anyway. Would that be corporate social responsibility? Yeah, corporate social responsibility. I mean, like, come on, come on. You know, anyway. And so they, you know, and they put a little piece in the annual report and everybody goes, oh, wow, isn't they cool? You know, but it's not. It's like arm's length almost. It's not. It's not at the core. Right? It's just not. Okay? And if it were, you wouldn't see the things that are happening right, at that end of town. So, so then you go, well, hang on a second. When I was last listening, this is hypothetical now, when I was last listening to someone in the government in the US, they said, we are an economy built on the back of small to medium-scale business. And that, by the way, is true. Somewhere, depending on the country, somewhere between 70 and 90% of the economy is driven by small to medium-scale businesses, not the, you know, the big guys. So let's go and have a look at those. You said it so perfectly. You said inside all of us is this need, this deep human need to contribute. And so the small to medium-scale business has that need. They really do. They go, oh, I need to do it. But at the same time, they're going, oh, but I need to build my business. Right? <laughs> so I need to... I need, to, I need to focus on that. Oh, I don't have any time. Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Oh yeah, I should do something uh, about giving. How do, I, how do I know that my giving is going to go? You know, oh God, it's too hard. Let me figure out how to build the business, right? So that's why there's a 0%. It is 0% in statistical terms. It happens, luckily, that our background in B1G1 was from small to medium-scale business. It wasn't, you know, a corporate background. So we kind of understood that and said, well, if we can do something that just makes it easy for the people who get that we need to make, as you said, a contribution, then that's going to be huge. And now uh, the major challenge is, uh, it's good fun to have it, by the way, is you know, how do you get traction? How do you get uh, more businesses to go, wow, that is just so cool. In fact, what happens is, seriously, seriously, Every day when people look at B1G1, the frequent thing that they say, there's someone new looking at it, goes, oh my God, I've been waiting for something like this all my life. Well, and that gets to the truth of what you were saying about inside of us, we have you know, this need to contribute. Right? And so B1G1 kind of uh, locks into that particular spot. 
Oh, and the other thing, of course, the other thing that, that sometimes goes on with big business, or sorry, with small businesses, they go, ah, oh, yeah, but, um, you know, I need uh, to, to give to solve the problems of the world. You know, it, it needs a lot of money. It's, you know, and I'm a tiny business. I don't have a lot of money. So then you get into this, um, when I'm successful, uh, I know, and of course, the response to that is, well, we, we get it. I get what you're saying. But what is it that you don't understand that actually giving is part of the journey? It's not, oh, I, I crossed the finishing line. Now I'll give. No, no, no. It's not about that. And, and it's like this whole thing around legacy that we, we need to understand. People start thinking about, oh, you know, one day, one day, one day, I'm going to leave a legacy one day. Okay. You can, you can play with that whole thing around legacy and you can say, well, instead of sort of thinking like, I'm going to leave it, that's a good thought, by the way. But then you go, hang on, I wonder if there's a different way of thinking about that. And instead of leaving, what if I was living? What if I was actually living the legacy? Wouldn't that be cool? What if every time we did something in our company, something great happened in our world and we can control, quote unquote, what that great thing is? In fact, we, we, we're not locked into, you know, ABC company proudly supports XYZ charity. No, 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 no. Because in B1G1, there's what, five or 600 projects from which you can choose and you can choose them just like that. You can make the giving, you know, let's say, for example, uh, someone listening to us now was in fact a dentist, let's just say. And, uh, they knew that their client was a teacher. Wouldn't it be great if when they did the giving, that the giving had something to do with education? And you, and you can make that happen. Uh, you see what I'm saying? I mean, I'm getting excited about our conversation. Yes. <laughs> so you're really, you're really giving people this plug and play solution so that they can, giving back within their business doesn't need to be, you know, an extra full-time job that, that they need to figure out, you know, vet these organizations on their own. You're taking that off their plate so that they can just plug themselves into this system you created. It's so easy. Yeah, it's, it is. I like it. Plug and play. And then the final little little piece around the legacy piece, so gone from, you know, let's leave it and leave a legacy, not leave it alone. Let's leave a legacy. <laughs> right. The way of doing that is to live the legacy each and every day, every second, every day and every way to do that. And that we know that shifts the spirit. We know all of that. And as you said, that actually grows the business as well because of the different connection that you get as a result of that. And then there's a final thing. Uh, well, I'm sure there's, it's not final, but uh, another thing which says, so we're leaving a legacy, we're living a legacy, but what if we can leverage the legacy? What if we can do that? And that is precisely, Dorothy, what you do in this podcast. That is precisely what you do. You know, you get up every morning, I'm, I'm sure you do, in, in your quote-unquote you know, business sort of thing, and you go, how can, you know, how can I contribute? How can I continue to do these things? And then one day you, I don't know how it happened, but you woke up and you said, you know what, I'm going to do this podcast. And it's all going to be about doing good, doing well, you know, all of that. And the moment you did that, the moment you did that, that was internally, if you think about it, that was leveraging your belief, your belief in contribution, your belief in making a difference. So you're a, a living legend legacy or living <laughs> legacy legend, I think we would call you. <laughs> you're going to make me cry right here on my own podcast, Paul. Thank you. That's, that's it's so true. Kind. It's true. I, I appreciate it. Well, I mean, it's when you talk about legacy, I mean, the legacy that you are are leaving and living and leveraging is really massive with all of these businesses that, that you're impacting. And, 
and the projects that you're able to impact as well. So, so I'm curious, are there any specific stories of businesses involved in B1G1 that have especially touched your heart that you would like to share? So actually yesterday, right? And here's this HR and recruiting firm. Uh, they're called Rio, run by a lady called Stella. They do recruiting for, you know, high-end positions and so on and so forth. And, and, and so what they've done through B1G1, if you go to their site, it's called riogroup.com.au, you'll see a little thing which calls Elevator Nation under, under what they call their impact tab. And what they decided to do is that every time they place someone, um, a kid in Aboriginal, uh, oh, sorry, in rural Australia, Indigenous kid, gets access to education. When you realize that what happens in Indigenous Australia is that, and by the way, I could tell the same story about Indigenous India or Indigenous Cambodia or Indigenous US, as you'll see in a, in a moment. And so it's, it's not about, quote-unquote, third world countries. It's really not. Until recently, pretty much 100% of the kids were sniffing petrol. That's what was happening, okay? This particular project that we work with decided to do some things, and they spoke with BP, and they spoke with Shell and all that kind of stuff, and they spoke very powerfully so that those two companies are producing petrol that is not sniffable anymore, gas that is not sniffable, right? they've reduced the rate of the issues caused by that by 94%. I mean, it's just amazing, uh, some, of the, some of the things that go on. And now they've said, what we need to do is, is, is we, we need to give these kids, you know, something else. And so they've got together with some geeks, and these geeks are, are doing, a, you know, 28 schools now of, of geeky stuff with the kids, and the kids, of course, are loving it. So getting back to Stella, whenever someone does a, you know, does a placement, X number of kids get access to the school. And here's the way she said it to me. She said, you know what, Paul, before B1G1, when someone did a good thing, you know, like made a good sale, if you like, we used to call them in on the Friday and, and we'd have this big celebration, you know, well done, Dorothy. You know, you, you put X dollars on the bottom line and, you know, here's a little gift or something or whatever, probably a bonus or something like that. She said, now what we do is this. We call them in actually on a Thursday and all the people, and we say, well done, Dorothy. And they give them a little thing. It says, just as a result of what you did in that particular thing over there, 50 children got to go to school for an entire year. You're going to weep, right, as a result of that. You know, if, if we were in the B1G1 office this morning, you would see three words up on the wall and you would see, Impact would be word number one, which means that we think that it should never be about the amount of money that you give. It should always be about the impact that you're creating. So hopefully gone are the days when, you know, the CEO stands up out in front of the building with a huge check. Hopefully that's gone. It should be about the impact. Second thing is it should be about a habit. You know, Charles Duhigg wrote that brilliant book called The Power of Habit, as you know. And if you think about running a business and, and building a great business, it's not about one big hit. It never is. It's about the tiny little things that you do. And it's exactly that with giving. It's exactly that. And we can go to charity balls. And I don't want to say we shouldn't have charity balls, by the way. They have a place. But what actually happens, if we ask ourselves what happens, does it change the way we do things? No. We've gone to the charity ball, there's, there's some form of probably a little bit of, you know, guilt stuff going on and, you know, we give and we go, oh, okay, fix that. 
but it doesn't change what we do. So the point about the habit is to build it into everything that you do. And then the final piece is this whole thing called connection. And it's connection to ourselves, it's connection to our team, uh, it's connection to our customers, our prospects, and of course, it's connection to our world. And so those three things really underpin everything. Well, I know on the B1G1 website, you actually have a counter that shows how many impacts your your organizations that are a part of B1G1 have made. So do you know approximately how many impacts you're at currently? Yeah, I did. I looked looked at it last night. I can look at it right now. It doesn't take too long to look at it. Uh, Last night, it was 162,755,432 impacts. Unbelievable. Well, Paul, (laughs) thank you so much for everything that you've shared with us today. Unfortunately, we are running out of time. So I'd like to move into what I call the impact round. So I'm going to ask you a series of short questions. And I'd like for you to respond just with the first answer that pops into your head. You ready? Got it. Awesome. So who has been the most impactful person in your journey to do well and achieve financial success? Masami Sada. I'm wondering if she might be the second question. So this is who has been the most impactful person in feeding your drive to do good and make an impact? Masami Sada. Okay, so she gets both of those. Awesome. Then when you're having a bad day or you find yourself in a negative headspace, what do you do to get yourself out of the funk? Oh, I read a little book I've got back here, which is called My Gratitude Journal. And I just, (laughs) what am I grateful for right now? What am I grateful for? Do you have a regular gratitude practice? Is that something that you do daily? Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. When we do meals and stuff like that with the family, we pass the book around. So, okay, Kai, what are you grateful for today? Myra, what are you grateful for today? And, you know, when you do that, you find the most amazing things. Like when he was six, Kai... We thought, oh, okay, I won't be able to, you know, figure out what he's grateful for today. So he said, okay, guy, what are you grateful for? And he said, the sun. And I said, what do you mean, the sun? And he said, well, the sun gives us warmth and it creates the flowers. And go, oh. That's amazing. So then, Paul, what book do you find yourself recommending to people most often? Well, Power of Habit would certainly be uh, up there. Anything written by Seth Godin, and Seth has got a, a new one out. I find uh, another lady that, that you, she's on Amazon, but she's actually an Australian lady. Uh, her name is, is Bernadette Jiwa. She has a blog, which is a really good blog called The Story of Telling. And, and it, it is all about, you know, being able to tell stories. She's, she's got a fabulous, her first book is called Making a Difference is what it's called. And the current book is called, what is it called? It's the story. Oh my gosh. It's all about story anyway, somewhere there. We'll find it and put it in the show notes. Yeah, you know, you'll find it. Bernadette G-Wa, spelled J-I-W-A. And you know, that's another thing, right? I mean, I'm just surrounded by all of these amazing sort of thought leaders. And fortunately, I'm curious and, and sort of delving into them every day. Awesome. And then the last question of the impact round is, what is the best piece of advice related to happiness that you would give our listeners? Well, for me, it would have to come back to gratitude. Just find something that you're grateful for, you know, because when you figure that out and you might think, oh, you know, I've got nothing to be grateful for today because whatever, compared to what? Compared to what? Uh, and there's always something. I mean, how about this one? I'm actually here. I'm actually alive right now, right? So, yeah, it comes back to the gratitude piece again. 
I couldn't agree more. Well, thank you so much, Paul. And then here on the show, as you know, we have what I like to call the do well and do good challenge. So this is where I encourage our listeners who want to give back to contribute to the nonprofits that are nominated by our guests. So could you tell us which nonprofit that you'll be nominating? Yes, I can. And it's a new one for us. If They went through this whole year of uh, doing things and it's extraordinary. It is absolutely extraordinary. And it is called Rescuing Leftover Cuisine is what it's called. And what these, what these kids do, they're volunteers right across the U.S. And we know that 30% of food produced globally is wasted. And yet in the U.S., one in seven people in the U.S. are food insecure. And what these guys do is they collect from the restaurants and stuff that's not used. They take it to the homeless shelter and people get fed. And have a guess what? You know, we talked about impact for 11 cents, 11 cents you can make sure that today a homeless person gets a meal. And that's called rescuing leftover cuisine. I love that you made that point, you know, just 11 cents creates a meal. Because I think so often, you know, people, they feel like, you know, they, they need to reach some certain level of success before they start giving back. And it's just simply not true. I mean, we can start where we are and say you give just $5, you know, uh, that is going to feed so many people here who you know otherwise wouldn't have a meal thanks to this this rescue food. Exactly, and then another way of computing that, by the way, is if you made it, let's say, eleven dollars, you might say, well, that's a hundred, you know, hundred people, Or another way of thinking about it is that allows them to recruit another restaurant to donate excess food. So th- these guys are really, really, really cool rescuing leftover cuisine. Well, anyone who wants to contribute to that organization, go check the show notes. We'll include all of the information there. And lastly, Paul, before we say goodbye, where can our listeners go to learn more about you, about B1G1, and to become a part of this movement? Oh, thank you for that. Yeah, very simple. It's just B1G1. That's the letter B followed by the number one, followed by the letter G, followed by the number one. Dot com, b1g1.com. And we would love you to visit and uh, check it all out. We really would. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been such an honor to share your story. Oh, it's been an absolute privilege. Thank you so much, Dorothy. And congratulations on all you're doing to make a massive difference in our world. Well done. All right, everyone, that's our show. Now, before I sign off, I want to introduce any new listeners to how the Do Well and Do Good Challenge works. There are two ways that you can participate. The first is if you are looking to do more to give back, I encourage you to contribute to any of the nonprofits nominated by my guests. Send a screenshot of your receipt to challenge at dowellanddogood.co and your donation will be included in our monthly tally of the tangible impact this podcast is having. The second way you can participate is absolutely free and that's by voting. See, in the first couple days of each month, we host a vote inside of our free Facebook community to determine which of the nonprofits nominated the month before that I will then donate a portion of my advertising agency's profits to. It's an awesome way to make your voice heard, and we've been able to raise money for some incredible organizations doing good in the world. So if you'd like to be a part of it, then head over to dowellanddogood.co backslash Facebook, where you'll find a link to join the group. 
Once you're inside, I'm also sharing tips, ideas, resources, and more to help you both increase your income and your impact. We're having so much fun inside there. So head over again to dowellanddogood.co backslash Facebook, and I'll see you on the inside. It means the world to me to earn your time. So thank you so much for listening.